My parents have this lounge that's a bit secluded from the rest of the house. They call it the formal lounge. It's where they have their meetings whenever they have friends over and we want to watch TV or play PlayStation or whatever. So it's where they have their private meetings. And whenever I'm home since leaving Johannesburg, I use that space as a studio space. I set up a little pseudo studio in there and that's where we work out of. And a lot of magic has happened in that room. Nalingi was recorded, like the top line was written in that room. Evoke and I made the Beyonce record in that room. There's something about this old sketched picture of my grandfather just looking upon you and the the family for With that shitty Yamaha piano. <laughs> the old Yamaha piano from like yeah. 1983 and not in the cool way. And these cheesy family photos of me in like grade four, which was just no one's no one's just, good looking in grade four. Come on. It's disarming, I think, which is quite cool. You can be yourself. Yeah. And the couches are massive, just these massive loungy couches that you just disappear into. And there's no part of it that feels like a fancy studio. And I think that that helps a lot. We found that even with Reiki, some of our best stuff with her was when we were just hanging out in a home or in a bedroom making beats versus in a million, like a multi-million brand setup that can feel quite weighty and feels like every second that I'm here and not performing, I'm chowing money, which in many cases is true, but there's something about home and just being at home and also being able to play with the dogs and just go on a walk. I think some of our best work, if not all of our best work, is done in places where we feel at home. Our writing trips that we take to PE every year. Most of Manana's EP was written in David's family home in Port Elizabeth. Hi, this is David Belshaw. And this is Wubele Boy of the production duo Noble. And you're listening to Next Gen Great. Bubele and I met in 2016. I had just come back from studying in Australia and there was this guy in Cape Town that knew Bubs and was like, bro, you have to meet, you have to meet this guy. He was adamant that we had to meet. So I went to this one event at the church, I think it was on a Thursday night and, and we met and Bubs and I just hit it off straight away. We were chatting about like what music we're into at the moment. At that time, it was like a lot of hype machine stuff, Oh Wonder. I was killing it at the point mm. and um and then we we went on a walk to uh the mcdonald's in canal walk because the the church was right there i got a i got a mcflurry and bub's got a glorified oros uh, orange juice thank you shout out to <laughs> mcd's orange juice and uh we're just we're just chatting doing the initial flex about uh, what what we were working on at that time I was very lucky randomly to get a song signed by Universal South Africa out of the blue, just like a one-off thing. They licensed a song. Which did so well. She's like... It did well because of the 90% SABC rule, let's play 90% South African music. <laughs> um, but it did quite well. And basically they asked me to, to work on this new artist called Reiki. So I was, I was busy telling Bubs that I'm working on this, this artist Reiki. And then he's like, no, like what the heck? They also asked me to do it. Yeah, so. they'd just asked me to work on the same project. And uh, I had met a person on campus a few years ago 
His name was Ross Dawkin, and he happened to be the bass player of Biedenberg. And when we met, I didn't know who Biedenberg was. He just walked into the class and everyone freaked out. And so I just decided to speak to him later because if he's doing pop music and coming from the College of Music, which is historically quite conservatory and classical and jazz music, if someone was killing it on radio music, I wanted to speak to them. And so we spoke and he was lovely and we exchanged contact details. And when I got home, I googled Biedenberg and Pluto came up. It was the biggest song in South Africa that we could not go anywhere without hearing it. And I freaked out. I was like, oh, I just spoke to this guy. And we kept in contact. I sent him a bunch of beats and we didn't speak for maybe a year. And a year later, he came back and hit me again and said, hey, are you still producing pop records? I sent him a bunch of stuff and he said, hey, there's this artist Universal wants me to produce. I can't because I'm going on tour. Do you want to give a stab at it? And it was the Reiki project. When we both found out we were on this project, we decided, why don't we just hang out and like make some music together and just see what happens? And that became the first co-productions of Noble. The first song we made together, Bob's just had like this this verse and this pre-chorus and I was blown away. It was, it was crazy. And, and we went into the studio at UCT, the, the studio at Lower Campus. And we made this drop, and it was, I just remember thinking it was like the sickest thing ever. Was, I think it was the first time we were in the studio together, and it, like just there was something that clicked. And I, I remember having it on my phone and just playing it like all the time, you know, in my car when I was driving around. And I was so pumped, and I think that excitement was 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 big. I think there's oftentimes, you know, we've seen it recently in in COVID, where this where we're pitching, you know, we we have a beat idea. And we send it to an artist and the Beyonce example is quite a, quite a good example of, you know, pitching or producing a song. You know, Beyonce has her world. She has her sound. She'll be Beyonce no matter, like, if the song, if, if you made the song or someone else made the song, like, she is who she is. And there is, like, such a place for that. But I think what, what excites us is being able to go on a journey with an artist and try and understand who they are and what story they're trying to tell and how, like, with our skill sets and with what we're able to do, how can we, like, bring that to life? That involves creating a world, a sonic world, and then finding people with the artist to create a visual world uh, to tell that story. Um, so that's like like what sounds we choose, what drums we choose, aesthetic of the music, and that's going on the journey with the artists to try and yeah, help them tell their story. And it involves more than one song. I think that producing an artist versus producing a song is, as David has touched on, you're building a world. Producing a song, you're building a moment. And I think those are two very different gestures and you could argue that our world is created of multiple different moments but for us what is exciting is being able to take a step back and see the entire picture and build that world moment by moment it's exciting for us to be in with artists early on and be in that genesis of defining their sound and finding their beat because there's so many options for us there's so much that you can do with that artist because you're building it together when you're producing just a song there are parameters, and that's fun sometimes to work within parameters. A lot of the American LA scene will get these things called who's looking lists, and it's just Atlantic and has all of their lists, and then Epic has all of their artists, and they all have two or three lines saying what the artist is looking for. And so those people are looking for a record or a moment to fit into the world that they've created. I think what's fun is to be the producer on the other end who's built the world and then you say hey we need one or two songs so we'll take some external songs but building the world together is so much more fun because you can misstep you can go a direction and say that's not what we want 
let's try this. You can experiment. It's more of a collaborative process than producing just a song. And I think that's why we're attracted to producing artists is just we get to walk it with them. And that's way more fun. Because I no longer live full-time in South Africa, I'm only back in the country once every six months. And so once a year, we take a trip, whether it's to David's place in PE or whether it's to Cape Town, but we take some time where we just write and we session and we create music and create a lot of it very quickly. And so within that week or two-week period, we just write as much as we can. And then the rest of the year, we spend extrapolating that or rewriting or producing those records out. On this particular trip to David's place, which was last year, hey David? Yeah, beginning of 2019. David's parents have a beautiful house there. There's a pool, there's dogs, there's... You're fully fed. It was just so beautiful to have food all the time. We turned their second lounge into a studio setup. Again, ginormous couches and just a laptop and crappy speakers and a microphone. And that's where we worked out of. We wrote a by by Amifabu, was written there. And again, a large majority of Manana's EP was written on that trip, just at the piano or in that room. It's so interesting to see how far we've come. I mean, if we showed you the first version of Call Me versus the version that's out now, it's crazy to see how far records have come and what the production process can do. But at the end of the day, even with all of this writing and re-recording and all of that, we use the demo vocals recorded in that lounge on a cheap microphone like an entry-level trashy microphone, that is the final take for Manana's Call Me because we couldn't get any more emotion and more honest execution than in that moment. Tell me why it's the same old questions It's been two years I thought we're past this We'll figure it out, figure it out Every time you tell me that we'll figure it out No, we never figure it out Call me, why don't you call me Instead of calling me out Call me, why don't you call me Instead of calling me out Call me, why don't you call me Instead of calling me out Calling me out, no And that's something that, again, has to be said about being in a space where you're just comfortable Same happened with this year when we took our writing trip this time it happened to be in cape town that was such a cool two weeks we were in cape town with manana and roline and a mate from new york that bud studies with Furman. yeah no, we've we made some of the the songs we're most proud of during that week we worked on roline's latest song stop there we wrote that there and then there's a new single coming out with manana and roline called Sunday Morning, and then another song by Rodine called Danger. And it was just amazing because we like we would go out for dinner and then come back and like I think we wrote Sunday Morning and we started like 10 o'clock that night. You know, Manana was just sitting by the piano just playing some chords. I think I was washing the dishes. Bubs was at like driving, so i.e. like at the computer just playing some chords and then, you know, Manana had this concept. But on a Sunday morning, heartbreak on a Sunday morning. I don't know, it's just 
it's so much more relaxed you can be so much more creative in a in a home there's not like you have to be out of there at 10 o'clock or you have to be there at 10 till 2 and you have to get it done i, I just found our best stuff is written when we're more relaxed when we're with people we really enjoy we're having a good time coming from like a, a university background it's quite tempting for me to like try and schedule everything and be super disciplined because you have to be when you're studying but creativity and and writing music is doesn't work like that which i've come to realize so our writing camps are a big part of, of what we do big part of what we do because it's all about fun and we don't necessarily have deliverables but then we're also able now to balance that off with scheduling time to be productive scheduling the time to be in a space and then letting what happened happens so it's a very fine line again just a balance of consistent work and we're also privileged in the sense that 70 percent of really what we do is just work it's graft as producers the first that 30 percent the magic the writing the in the room stuff the creative expression that's at the beginning and it's amazing it's an exciting once the record's done that's it now you're just is this bass sound right does the snare fit into the mix are we sitting in the pocket how is the recording are their mouth sounds do these breaths annoy me it's all nitty-gritty and it's work and that's just about bringing through that excitement of that first 30 percent is how much can we serve that So for Minata's EP in the beginning was the end. What we were trying to do is we're just trying to make the songs like to the best of our ability. We weren't like trying to aim for anything. I think we're trying to like tell the story of this heartbreak in reverse. I think like at the time we, we were using like certain like sounds, certain plugins, things like like I mean this RC20 plugin and there's this plugin called Auto Pitch which you can like format stuff down. There were certain presets that we had saved of different effect chains for guitars that we used on various songs and there's this production thing that Bubs does where Bubs like takes the whole song and then like runs it through 50 different effects and like put reverb on or stretch it out, pitch it up. Up, like distort it he makes all these things happen at the same time and then you like chop that up and you get like different moments in the song if it's on the vocals or if it's on like a synth line we were in like a creative space that was able to tell Manana's story in a way that we weren't intentionally trying to do but when we put all the songs together and we figured out the order of the story that was trying to be told it felt cohesive it felt like a world that was special and unique to Manana and that felt coherent and that felt true to us as producers and something that we are very proud of. I think that when it came to writing this EP and producing this EP for Manana, he has such a distinctive voice. And I don't mean just his sound of his voice, but in the way that he writes, specifically when he's writing for himself. Manana is the king of tugging on your heartstrings. These simple chords and these beautiful, simple concepts that just tell a story that you already know but in a slightly new way or just in a way that makes you want to listen to it more and so when we were writing this we didn't have to try really to give him a voice and that's a really privileged thing with building a world for an artist he has a voice and so our music was just reflecting that and when it started pulling on heartstrings we realized that a lot of these are love stories either about love gained or about love lost and so that's how the songs developed as individual pieces and then they started to come together slowly as David was saying unintentionally and that's when we started seeing the story arc of hey we're telling this story of 
falling in love and then losing that love. And that's a tale as old as time. But for this EP, we're telling it in reverse. And so it's this really incredibly heartbreaking thing. It's sort of like when you're at the movies and you know what's behind the door and the character's going towards the door and you say, don't open it, don't open the door, don't open the door. And that's what this EP is, is that it starts with the heartbreak. You know how it ends and each song progressively gets happier and happier. And even though it's happier songs, it's kind of in the context of the body of work, it's it's really heartbreaking because you're like, oh, you poor soul. Like, I already know how this ends, but now you're hearing him say, if you're here, there's nowhere I need to go. Like, I'm in a state of euphoria. He's saying all of these things and you're like, oh, honey. And it just makes you, it breaks your heart in that way. But we're literally telling this story of heartbreak in reverse. And when we're coming up with EP names, it is such a funny moment. Is that we're all on a call, just bantering, obviously, with our manager, who's also Manana's manager. And we're just talking absolute nonsense. We're like, oh, what are we going to call this EP? And Manana's like, (laughs) in the beginning was the end. And then everyone just went silent. And he definitely thought he'd made a joke. And everyone's like, that that's it that is that is 100% the name of this album because it is everything just in the beginning was the end and it immediately made sense but in terms of building the world and picking the tone palettes we go through phases I've been trying to learn bass so a lot of our songs lately have been bass driven like a kick and a bass drum in the drop that's just where I'm at now and in a month's time I'll be in a different phase David goes through his phases I go through my phases and that defines the sounds of the record in that time and what we're listening to at that time with Manana we happen to be in this slightly darker moody ethereal space for his record because we weren't making that music anywhere else everything else was a very different vibe and so it was great for us to be able to use that gesture as david had said the rc20 that just makes everything sound like it's coming through vinyl or through cassette tapes this four-man shifting thing where vocals sound like this and then without changing the picture sound like this and it's just you're just changing like the intonations of someone's voice and being able to do that in the backgrounds because Manana's crazy with harmonies and he'll just stack 25 of them in one go and it sounds immaculate, but we want to make them sound weird. It wasn't difficult to find out where to go with this because Manana sets the tone and we follow and that's the sign of an incredible artist. Every drop in the ocean and every grain on the beach All poetic notions couldn't measure how I feel Kings and queens have their castle And captains have their fleets I wouldn't trade their treasures Nor would I want oceans deep Cause all I seek is your beauty we still haven't got our plaques bro we've got three and we haven't got them i want it hanging on my wall over there you need them you need them to be like on your bookshelf so so that someone doesn't know doesn't see them and then they're like looking through a bookshelf and then they're like oh is this a is this a is this a a gold plaque (laughs) like it's the quiet flex um, yeah, but, I don't think yeah. you want it in the studio. I think being in the nah. studio might be a, like some producers do have them in the studio. I think it's a bit intimidating. It's always so scary. It's like as soon as you get any sort of accolade, 
you're always wondering how am I going to do it again and I don't want to be yeah. faced with that yeah. every day when I'm in the studio when I'm in the studio I want to say just a new page I want to get in there and just make something that exciting and not do it because I want a plaque um, because every time that we've gotten some sort of accolade it's because we followed our gut and not the trend and that's important to say and as soon as you do something as soon as we made Nalingi people wanted copies of Nalingi and we don't know how we made that song in the first place how can we even begin to copy it and so plaques, for me, I want to treat them very much in the same way that I treat my degrees. They honor my parents by showing them that their son has is doing things and is making progress. They've footed the bill for my education through high school, took me to university. They've given me all of these opportunities. And for me, those plaques are more for them than they are for me. It feels good for me. And it helps you in the industry because once you have a track record of excellence, people are more willing to trust you with new things. Plaques are very much like they go on your resume. You know, when you're sending emails to people and you want to get a response, your management team might say, hey, these guys have had multi-gold selling or multi-accredited records. That helps A&Rs take you seriously. But I like them because they look nice and I want to hold mine in my, in my hands and then... I want to just give it to my parents and have them hang it in some random place in the house. When it comes to picking the name Noble, it was a lengthy, difficult process. I will not say that it was fun, but at the end of the day, something that helped us is realizing that all band names sound stupid until you become successful. Just pick any band name. Imagine Dragons. Are you high? That's a weird name to have. They are one of the biggest bands in the world i can't think of a band name or an artist project that isn't just a normal person's name that sounds cool if you really think about it they're all weird and that's okay and so for us that took a bit of pressure off of it so instead of it sounding cool or being cool it was also a thing of what does it mean to us and for us the meaning came afterwards and it came it slowly built into what we now hold as the meaning for noble so noble is a continuous intentional reminder of how we want to go about our operations as humans and as creators, always with noble intentions. I think it's so easy in the music game to do it for the wrong reasons or to get wrapped up in the hype or in the clout, all of these adjacent factors, but having pure intentions and doing things with clear intentions goes a long way. So just having noble intentions is really important for us. And by having that in our name, I think it's a great reminder consistently. We don't know what the world will look like in three months, let alone 10 years. I'm planning on going to New York in Feb next year. And that will begin our United States world journey. I think we would love to be working with really talented people in New York and LA and spending most of our time there, but also a fair amount of time in South Africa, maybe a few months of the year. You know, because both our parents live here, we've got extended family and grandparents here as well. And family is very important to us. So I think ideally we would also have our own families at that point. And I think from Noble, we want to grow that into something. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like, but it's like multifaceted from a creative point of view, from like creating songs to developing artists and developing songwriters and producers creating like a creative community where people can yeah just feel like a safe space to create and help like take them to the next level i think the music industry is going to be changing a lot in the next 10 years from like a contractual and yeah like a record label 
technology point of view and i think the creatives are going to be the people in control more and i'm interested for us to be a part of that movement i think management companies are going to be quite important and so yeah, I'm, I'm really keen to be like partnering with other, like other managers other like music executives and other creative people to build something yeah i'm not exactly sure what it looks like i will say that there are things that we're passionate about number one we're passionate about community everything that we do is about everyone in our circles winning together and building things around us we are not chasing down the top we're not trying to get in the room with ed sheeran because ed sheeran has his people katie perry has her people these are people that we'd love to work with but it is not our objective our objective is to turn someone into the next version of them and that's where we'd like to be in the next 10 years some people who have been responsible in launching the careers of people who have a wide reach additionally to that as much as we love music we both have sides of us that are drawn to other parts of industry david is particularly in business i just foresee him being such a business tycoon he's always just looking at wants to understand how and why things function the way that they do i love working with david because we don't spend money needlessly david won't allow it and that's such a helpful thing there's so many times where i'm like we should buy this thing he's like no no we're not gonna buy it we're gonna trial it for three weeks and then you'll be like mm, this is why we don't need it and he is yet to be wrong in why we should or should not buy something my side i am quite a tech person for my thesis i built an application that has to do with music and rights tracking and things in that and i think that that's for us we're really intrigued by the startup space and the music tech space and i think that that's something that we'd really love to move into in the next 10 years as we solidify our ideas and execute on them we don't need to be ceos of massive tech companies but we operate within an entertainment realm that is incredibly archaic and incredibly problematic and if there's anything that we can do to solve that on a business and technical sense I think that's something that we are passionate in pursuing. And so uh, the next 10 years, we don't know what will happen. We're just always going to keep it exciting. As soon as something is boring, we move on to something else. And right now, we're trying to transition into the global market and continue to do well in South Africa. That's the next step. And then we'll see what the next step is after that. But there are some cool things happening with Novo, man. And there's a lot of cross-pollination. If you're even looking at the work that we do with my brother, who's an incredible filmmaker, and Matt O'Connor, he's a great friend who's here in New York. And we've done some intercontinental shoots where they co-directed them in real time. We've, for Manana, we've done, we've done some crazy things and we want to continue working with that because these are the chaps that you grow with. I'm just like excited to see my mates win Oscars and be like, yeah, man, I went to university with that guy. I have his number right here. And that excites me because whenever I meet someone who, who is as excited about the thing that they do as I am about music, I always cherish that. And we tend to surround ourselves. We're slowly getting to that point now where we like we have a mixing engineer who like we love working with. And we have a vocal producer who's like incredible at engineering vocals. And every step of the cog has to be someone who's passionate and in 10 years time i feel like by that point we would have created the full machine with every cog being dope thank you for listening that was understanding nobility with noble this is the third episode off of our next gen great series telling the story where we get fascinating creatives to tell us the story behind the story if this is the first time you're hearing of next gen great we are a space focused on unpacking creative moments movements and figures within media and entertainment. 
We have dozens of articles you can check out where we spotlight web series, films, music, and wider cultural topics related to South Africa, Africa, and the wider diaspora. You can find us on the nextgenerationofgreats.com or simply Google NextGenGreats, and if there's a tag saying unpacking the creative movement, you found the right place. I'd love to hear how you found the episode and what else you may want to hear and or read. So leave a comment if you can, email our website or hit me up on my socials. My handle is yazthestudent, that is Y-A-Z-Z, the student on both Twitter and Instagram. Thank you again for your time. I'll see you soon with more entertainment podcasts right here on Next Gen Grades.